Welcome to Hitting the Media, a political podcast that aims to be nonpartisan. And just like two truck drivers that are sideswiping each other, we aren't staying on one side or the other. We are Hitting the Media. I'm your host, Michael. And I'm Philip. And you are listening to Hitting the Media. What are we talking about today, Bill? Well, today we're going to be talking about... Just a bit of background. It's probably going to be a short episode about Turkey and the U.S. relations, which are not uh, in great shape right now. So, Turkey. So, when we come, when it comes to Turkey, we have to first, if we're going to do context, uh, we we have to talk about Erdogan a little bit. So, President Erdogan. Originally, he was a soccer star or as the Europeans would call it, football. Then he became the mayor of Istanbul. And then he recited some uh, poetry that was uh, pro-Islam at uh, some gathering when he was mayor of Istanbul, and then he was imprisoned, and then he got out. And he didn't just recite poetry at a gathering. He recited, this is 1998, and he recited a poem that saw the government from an Islamic view that's, that was openly Islamic basically perspective on the government and he got banned from politics after he did it because at that time in Turkey ever since the Auto-Turk and the establishment of the Turkish Republic after World War One. The Turks have had a very strict separation between religion and state. And so when he had read this poem that was an openly Islam, Muslim view of the Turkish country, he was imprisoned, he was banned from politics, uh, he, lost, you know, he lost his job as mayor. It was a very serious offense. Yeah, so then, afterward, once he was released, uh, he became Prime Minister of uh, Turkey. Wait, first he formed a popular Turkish party, and the co-founder of the party was elected Prime Minister because he was still banned from running, and then he was absolved, basically pardoned by the co-founder, and then he was able to step in in a mid basically an off-term election and as Prime Minister. So, became Prime Minister, then he became President, and then as President, he has been consolidating his power. A few years ago, I don't remember exactly what year it was, but it's been kind of a long time coming. He was never a big fan of the opposition, so one thing that he did was he started purging the opposition. But, you know, there's only a certain, there's, there's only a certain extent to which you can... Uh, purge opposition uh, unless you have power to do so. So, what did he do? He expanded his power and started eliminating the uh, opposition, started eliminating the opposition a lot more. So, that is what's going on in Turkey uh, from President Erdogan's uh, or what's going on with President Erdogan in Turkey. I'm not a big fan of uh, President Erdogan for you know a few different reasons. <coughs> For example, he denies the 
Armenian Genocide. Which most Turkish people deny. Yeah, which is absolutely ridiculous to deny that. But, either way, um, so that's what Erdogan has been up to. So, there's been a lot of... Wait, is that your only... Is that your only reason for disliking Erdogan? No, there's a lot of other reasons, but we'll get into the, the, the reasons. I'm not going to give all the reasons right now, because... I'm gonna. We're gonna explain what's going on with Turkey, and then it'll start to become apparent why I'm not a big fan. Are you gonna say? Are you gonna mention the positive aspects of Erdogan's government? Oh uh, yeah, we'll get to that. I'm not just gonna be like all biased and just say he's never done anything for anybody. So, um, oh okay. All right. So, okay. So everybody knows what's happening in the Middle East, right? We've got Syria running amok got all sorts of things happening. Uh, we've, we've got ISIS, which ISIS is finally getting clobbered, which is a good thing for everybody. ISIS is extremely bad. They are very extremist, very radical. So, uh, one, of the, one of the big problems in the Middle East has been a blockade on Qatar. So, Phil, Tell us about the blockade in Qatar well, and how that's affecting the situation in the Middle East. The South, I don't think it's a big thing. I think it's small compared to the Syrian civil war, but the Saudis in 2017 <coughs> said that Qatar was sponsoring terrorism and they decided to put a blockade along with Egypt and I think United Arab Emirates we got in on the blockade and some countries went to the defense of Turkey including Iran who generally goes against Saudi Arabia and I'm sorry went to the defense of Qatar I think I might have said Turkey including Iran and Turkey so this is Turkey, if you think about it in terms of <coughs> West, Western allied countries, Turkey's and right, Iran is not a Western allied country. Turkey's moving more towards Iran, further away from the U.S. in their response to Qatar blockade. And what you'll see a lot throughout, it's not completely this way, but a lot of times under Erdogan, because he doesn't want to be bullied by the West, he moves away from Western sphere of influence. Okay. One of the... There was also a big event. Uh, what was it, 2016? The assassination of the Russian ambassador. Right. So... <coughs> it's been a really tough situation in the Middle East in general, especially with Syria and with ISIS and Bashar al-Assad and uh, Russia's influence on everything. So, Russia... Can you break down for people just a quick synopsis of the Syrian conflict and who the uh, basic elements are? Okay, so, I think we really kind of have to go back a little bit to the Iraq war and how the uh, Middle East was destabilized. So, Quick rundown, hopefully five minutes. Uh, I'm going to aim for five-minute rundown. 
So, Bush says, I'm going to Iraq. Now, motives can be debated. Were there weapons of mass destruction? Were there not? Did John Bolton lie? I'll leave you to form your own opinions about that because that's not what we're talking about. But, regardless, Middle East gets destabilized because we did not set up a good government. And, you know, some people could, you could say that maybe, even though as bad as Saddam Hussein was as a person and terrible things that he did, maybe we shouldn't have disrupted the balance of power in the Middle East. Because once the we installed a very weak Iraqi government, and so ISIS started uh, basically taking over, like, everything. There are a bunch of, like I said, radical Islamic extremists who want to establish a new caliphate. <coughs> right, so then you've got Syria. They, armed, they were armed by U.S. Uh, government in order... Were they armed by U.S. government in order to overthrow Assad? Uh, kind of. Uh, what happened was, there are three different factions... Bashar al-Assad is some like knight in shining armor. You know, there are some there are some Christians that I've heard of that are like, oh well, he's protecting some of these Christian towns in Syria, and so they like sing his praises, right? But he's not this great guy. He's really he's a very terrible man. He is, and he commits genocide, right? So obviously, since he's doing all these things. There's a lot of people that want to get rid of him. So there's three different <coughs> factions, commits right? Commits genocide. Yeah. Assad didn't commit genocide. What genocide? Not did he mass commit? genocide. I mean, he's using weapons against his chemical weapons against his own people. I mean, he denies. He's been doing that, that for. A, of course, he, he denies it. Everybody's gonna deny it. Well, he denies it. Everybody's gonna deny it. But there's overwhelming evidence. That's what they said about Iran. This is nothing like Iraq. There were no real photos. There was no real evidence. All right, there is all sorts it, of evidence. He says that it wasn't. It was a staged event and it didn't happen. There is all sorts of evidence for it. You can say it's staged all he wants, but you know he just doesn't want to get dragged into the UN. And, I'm talking about the more oh, recent one, the one last summer. Not I don't know, the I'm not talking about that one. one. So. Okay, regardless of what he says, he's not a, he's a very brutal person. He's brutal. So, people want to overthrow him. There's three different factions that want to overthrow him, right? So, you've got just, you've got ISIS people that want to establish a caliphate. You've got more moderate people who the U.S. tried to arm. And then you've got the Kurds. You've got Kurdish people. So, the U.S. said, we're going to try to arm these moderate people, and it turns out, uh-oh, the moderate people were actually ISIS people. So, oops, we just armed ISIS. Well, they, <coughs> they also did get a free liberation, I think it's called a Syrian Free Army, Yeah. which consisted of 40 people that actually agreed to fight for the cause of the U.S., but uh, it caused the... Uh, appropriations bill of like tens of millions of dollars. Yeah, it was it's so ridiculous. Because obviously arming the resistance has worked so well for us in the past in other places like Afghanistan, right? 
want stop Russia from making Afghanistan communist? It wouldn't have even become communist even if Russia had gone in there. I mean, that was the whole on. point. Yeah, but then it came back to bite us. I don't think it did. Osama bin Laden? Yeah, but the we, Taliban? We, we, we betrayed Osama bin Laden. But we also trained him. Yeah. But then he was our ally, we betrayed him. How did we betray him? He was our ally. Friends with us, trained by the CIA, had uh-huh. worked on our behalf, uh-huh. was a hero among his people, and we agreed basically just like we let him fight in Afghanistan against the Russians when it was our bidding. Now Saddam Hussein decided he wanted to go into Kuwait, and Osama bin Laden said, Look, I'm your ally. We've worked together in the past, it worked out very well. <coughs> He was trained in Western schools. He had become more religious, but he was he was still opposed to something like Saddam Hussein going into Kuwait. So he said, we'll take care of this one too. We said, no, we'll do it. And he said, no, I don't want, I don't want that to happen because this is a problem in a Muslim country and Muslims should be able to deal with it. You had me deal with the other one, so I'll deal with this one. We said, no, we went ahead and did it anyway. And he felt that that was a betrayal and a disrespect, and that's why he decided to bomb the World Trade Center. Yeah, so it, it comes back to bite us when we train resistance people. It really does. I mean, there's I'm sure there's other examples of it. Either way, I think the stupid the stupid idea of training ISIS is. <coughs> You're training people in Syria. It's their country. Some of them don't like the government. But do you really think you're going to persuade people to fight for a foreign government like the U.S., basically a neo-imperial government? Like, how does that help them? We have Assad in, but at least he's Syrian, and he's giving us problems, so we can take over the government, or we'll fight on behalf of the U.S. and then let them take over the government. So that now basically we're being run by the U.S. Yeah. I don't, who's going to agree to those terms? And the, and the bigger problem with this, right, the even bigger problem is Russia is aiding Bashar al-Assad, and so is Iran. But why is that a big problem? Well, I mean, when you have ISIS and you have a bunch of resistance people, and then you've got Russia, who is who has one of the... Russia Three just doesn't biggest want militaries Yeah, but Russia doesn't world. want ISIS. They don't like terrorists. They want stability. Yeah, so they want stability, but they're going with stability at all costs. So if the U.S. is going to train people, we can't just train people because this is the Russian military. I mean, they're not going full-fledged, you know, a lot of airstrikes. But one thing we can't keep doing, we cannot keep doing as the U.S., is airstrikes in Syria because we don't want to start World War III with Russia and it is very, very, very possible. Anyway, big war going on over there uh, with ISIS and Bashar al-Assad fighting each other and then you got another group the Kurds who the U.S. is arming out the nose and the Kurds are, are actually 
pushing ISIS back, right? But this, so here's where it intersects with Turkey. Syria is right on the southern border of Turkey, and the fight continues to spill over into Turkey. And just like a lot of the European countries, everybody's getting tired of Syrian refugees, and they're getting tired of uh, Kurdish fighters winning too, because. Uh, I don't know, it's just kind of a common theme in the Middle East. Virtually everybody hates the Kurds. <clears throat> so there's, and it actually kind of all goes back to, again, Gulen and um, uh, Erdogan, right? They tried to broker a peace deal with the PKK, which is a... You didn't say who <coughs> Gulen is yet. I didn't? Oh, I thought we said that. Okay, so there's another guy that's living in Pennsylvania. Uh, he was, he left the country because... Uh, of, of certain things that happened in Turkey, which will be detailed in a second. So, uh, Fatula Gulen, he is, he was a longtime ally of Erdogan until, was it 2013, was it? Right. Yeah, 2013, when there was a giant investigation for a, was it Guns for Gold kind of thing? No. Or what was it? It was just basically... Erdogan's cabinet members and close allies getting rich off of loopholes in U.S. sanctions in Iran. Yeah, so there was a big investigation into it, and so Gulen came to the U.S. because he didn't want to be assassinated or silenced. So that happens. He comes to the U.S. Now, Erdogan has constantly accused Gulen of being behind coup attempts since he consolidated his power. Now, is he? Maybe. I mean, I wouldn't put it past him. I mean, if I were in Gulen's position, I'd probably try to do that too. Right? I'm not going to put it past him. So, you've got he's got that, right? So, there's a question as to whether he's... He doesn't really like the PKK, but he did try to bro broker a peace deal with the PKK, which is a Kurdish... Like I said, a Kurdish terrorist group. What do you mean by terrorists? Well, a terrorist group is somebody that promotes submission to their point of view using acts of violence to scare people into doing what they I want. I think they see themselves as a uh, kind of an independent group. They're trying to get their own Kurdish state. See, that's the, that's the problem. I mean, that's a sovereign nation. You can't just allow things like that. You're not doing things like... ISIS chopping off people's heads. Oh yeah, it's not that bad. Ooh. If it were that bad, you better believe they would have been condemned a long time ago. So, um, either way, they're a supposed terrorist group. Now, speaking of Gulen, we also have Andrew Brunson. Wait, can we go back on Gulen a little bit? Because you, yeah. we're missing a lot of the idea of the... <coughs> way Islam is has interacted with Turkish culture. There's a large percentage of the Turkish population that wanted to be secular, like kind of like Switzerland. And it was like that basically until the year 2000. So from the founding of the Republic after World War One to the year, let's say 2000-2001, it was very secular example was when um, uh, Erdogan got arrested for reading the poem women couldn't wear the Muslim head garments things like that 
Erdogan comes in and he promotes a a conservative Islamic, uh, not extremist, but conservative. No, no, conservative Islam, Islamic, not, he, not extremist. He's not ISIS. Well, there are things that he that like his. For instance, there was admonitions coming from one of his deputies saying that women shouldn't laugh loudly in public because it's indecent. And the Western culture just filling Turkey with too many cars, too many drugs, too much laziness, sex, etc. And that they need to be more orderly and, and Islamic and that it would help Turkey. Um, Gulen is... But Erdogan says that he would never... Erdogan says that he just wants the open practice of religion. He doesn't... He doesn't want to force his Muslim beliefs on any any person, but he wants Muslims to be able to practice freely. So, like, his wife wears a head garment, and she's allowed to wear a head garment. That's an example. <coughs> but there's other... So, like, Gulen and Erdogan got together and did some court cases where they were able to take down the power of the military which was a long-standing, unelected power in the Turkish government that probably had undue power and was undemocratic. Erdogan and, and Gulen were kind of working together in the courts to win cases to diminish the power of the military. So we would consider that to be a good thing from a democratic perspective. And another thing to layer onto this whole thing, which... Uh, it, this this next thing it paints Erdogan in a good and a bad light, right? So when he became mayor, uh, he started investing in infrastructure, airports, uh, high-speed trains, roads, bridges, things like that. Well, I'm sure he did it as mayor of Istanbul. I, I I'm pretty sure that I read <laughs> that he did. So uh, and when he became prime minister, he upped it, you know, but. Unfortunately, one of the ways he did it was by taking out a bunch of loans. Uh, President Erdogan he invested in infrastructure, which was very, very helpful. Now, we need to give a couple statistics preliminarily about Turkey so we can put this into perspective. Turkey is the 13th, has the 13th largest GDP in the world. And I'm not just talking about regular GDP, I'm talking about GDP, you know, with purchasing parity power, PPP. They have a $2.32 trillion economy. And their debt, they're really in, they're not really that in debt. They're in debt, according to the European Union and the European banks that are loaning them a whole bunch of money, which their application into the EU was rejected. But not based on that. Yeah, not based based on that. based on economics that they got rejected. What was it based on, Phil? They were rejected from the UN because right around the time that, well, their application was already being slow walked, and at around the time that they decided to really get rid of their application was um, when Erdogan had a group of people that protested against him, and he cracked down on them. Uh, saying that they were sympathizing with Gulen, and by this time Gulen had been pronounced a terrorist. And he killed 22 protesters, and 
the EU backed away from his application based off of that. There was another issue with the fact that um, a lot of people think it has something to do with like the fact that it's 80 million people and they're Muslims, and if they get if they get um, into the EU, they have free access to all the other countries in the EU. So that means that all of a sudden Europe will be open with free access any country they want to 80 million Muslims and Turkey feels like the Christian countries in the EU Germany most explicitly isn't interested in having 80 million Turks you know come in as they please take jobs go back go forth and change the culture of Germany which I, I guess that's fair um kind of but they are a yeah, NATO country. But the thing is, wouldn't all the European countries be allowed to go into Turkey and do the same thing? Yes, but they're yeah, not as so interested. They, they go to Turkey for tourism. They're not trying to go to Turkey. Even though Turkey has a big GDP, it's, you know, you said 13th yeah. um, in the world according to purchasing parity power. Its per capita GDP is lower than most European Union countries. Uh, the average wage, uh, I calculated the average wage in American dollars, it's about $30,000 a household is the average wage um, for for the whole populace. I, didn't, I took all the different age groups and all right, it says 20, averaged them together. 27000 it says. Uh, I, I found, well, for what age group? That's per capita. Okay, well, I was going with median incomes, right. median household incomes. So, median household income in general is around 30000 Um, So there's that. And then we've got... And it's a big NATO country. Yeah. Oh, it's a huge NATO country. They are the second biggest contributor to NATO. So the U.S. is first by far, and then second biggest contributor. So that's, that's a big deal. Um... So we're going to get back to the Andrew Brunson thing, I think. Uh, have we exhausted our the finances thing? Um, I mean, Turkey's economy is still growing. I think one of the problems is that it relies heavily on imports. So they do a lot of exports, but they also rely heavily on imports. They make a lot of textiles and other manufactured goods. They also have agriculture as a big part of their economy. And they're an advanced economy. They have financial institutions and stuff like that but but so like if you think of banking as a modern western high lucrative aspect of um, the economy you have to be open to trade in order to do banking for instance if you do banking and you're doing currency trading you have to be able to trade currency with a country the bank has to be willing to allow sales of currency on the market and things like that. If the bank, if the government is deciding to become more repressive, let's say, 
it slows down all of those people won't want to invest as much money they're not sure that their business will have unregulated uh, access or, or low regulated access to the market for instance one of the things that's happened with the devaluing of the Turkish currency recently is that the Turkish bank has not allowed Turkish citizens to buy um, to buy US dollars at the like like they let them buy it but they let them buy only a limited amount it's it's a way because if they just sold all the liras and bought US dollars the lira would continue to drop and they don't want that to happen they're trying to protect the value of their national currency which from their perspective is a great idea because you can't have your national currency um, fall out basically that'd be a terrible idea then you have no way to print money um, can I speak about money real quick? Sure. Erdogan? Uh, one of the big problems with Turkey, and it's been one of the big problems in a lot of uh, countries around the world, major, the major countries uh, with major currencies, has been a lack of uh, raising of interest rates. So, basically, they've been keeping their their money in artificial, artificially low. The United States and China have been doing that for a while now, and that usually comes back to bite you, and it's starting to bite them right now. They're trying to keep their their inflation low. They don't want their money to be worth more, but the banks that have been giving them loans want their money to be worth more because that's part of their investment. <laughs> so there haven't, hasn't been an interest hike in like almost 20 years. Or not 20 years, sorry, more like 15 years, which... I think that's a problem. I mean, there's even been interest hikes here in the U in the U.S. Well, the thing about not having interest, if you don't raise interest rates, it means that your businesses, national domestic businesses, will be more willing to theoretically will be more willing to make, uh, spend money, like spend on new capital investments, because they can get money at low interest. So it's not hurting them to borrow money and pay it back a year later, let's say they get 0% interest or 0.001% interest, they pay it back and it's like just using that money without having to pay for it in a way. I mean, you have to pay it back, but you're, the next year, the money should be worth a little bit less and you're paying it back at either the same value or a little less value. So it's basically easy, cheap money to get to make capital investments. So that's why the national banks tend to do it because it's a good way to stimulate the economy. But Turkey's had many years in a row, I think, of economic growth. Yeah, they have. And Turkey is not that terrible of a country uh, economically. And one of the big things that I'm seeing is I just don't understand why it's such a big deal to the European banks that have loaned them money. I mean, it's not like their debt is where the United States is. We're at 107%? Is that what it is? We're at 107%. Yeah, we're at 107% of our GDP. They're only at 27% of their GDP. Like, it's really... Their debt is actually not that big. So I think the stock market was overreacting. And one of the reasons I want to do this podcast is because my 401... Stocks that are in my 401k declined. And I looked at it, and it's because of Turkey, because... The European banks are afraid that Turkey isn't going to be able to pay the stuff back. But, I mean, to me, that just seems like an overreaction. 
So, and Runson, now that we have all of this done, and we're, we've talked about the social conservative, uh, not social conservative, sorry, uh, conservative Islamic tendencies of Erdogan, we also want to talk about uh, Andrew Brunson. And this is all going to wrap around here. So, Andrew Brunson is an American pastor that has been in Turkey trying to promote Christianity for about 25 years now. So, wait, can I say something? Yes, one thing yeah, about go for it. The interest rates and the, um, why the lira, I think, is devaluing. I don't think it, uh, so if they raise interest rates, it helps certain people, right? Like, if I'm, if I'm, if you keep interest rates low, it helps a business that's trying to borrow money from a bank because the interest rate on the loan is going to be low. But if you raise the interest rates, like if your economy is healthy enough that they're going to do capital investments anyway, and you raise your interest rates, well, you can make your bankers a lot of money because when they give you a house, if they give you a house at 3% interest, they make, you know, let's say X amount of money off your house. But if they give you a house at 5% interest rates, then they make a lot more money. Then they make a lot more money off your house. So raising or lowering interest rates to me is just more or less the government saying who they want. If the economy is strong enough, you can raise interest rates. If the economy is not strong and you want to keep growing, keep them low because that will keep theoretically stimulating investment. But I think the reason that the lira is dropping is not because of him, of Erdogan keeping interest rates low. I think the reason the lira is dropping is because this recent fight that came up between Trump and Erdogan is not, it's like, it would be bad if Turkey and U.S. decided that they were going to sever diplomatic ties or that they were going to become more alienated from each other, that they're not going to be our ally. But I think what people react to, and I'm not sure, but my feeling is, what people are reacting to is a lack of confidence in Turkey's government to be a friend of the developed country's kind of trade belt, let's say, like the, you know, e, I mean, France, Germany, US, uh, Belgium, England, etc. This kind of Western group of countries that are the most economically prosperous countries. If if Turkey decides to close up, close from that, or go hit, become allies with Iran and Russia and move away from that, um, that's going to hurt. That's going to hurt. That their economy is going to suffer. If their economy is going to suffer, then the lira is going to be worth less. I think that's the prediction. Because that's what they're doing. They're just predicting confidence in the lira. They're not actually saying anything about interest rates or how easy it is to borrow lira. In fact, Erdogan has been saying buy more lira because he wants the bankers that, that determine it in the exchanges to, or the traders, he wants them to feel that there's still confidence in the lira. I don't know if that, do, does that make sense? Uh, well, one of the big problems with keeping uh, interest rates low is you end up just printing money because you're creating uh, artificial demand by keeping it low, by promising people low interest rates. So you have a bunch of low interest rates and then you get a bunch of people that come in, they get loans, uh, they get mortgages, they they 
start businesses on loans, uh, business startup, all sorts of things. So you've got all that going on. Well, the more demand you make, the more money you have to print. That's just the name of the game. So it actually devalues your currency because if everybody has it, it's worthless. Well, you know what? I don't think you have to print more money to have low interest rates. You eventually do have to print more money depending on... I mean, if you have other policies that don't encourage buying, it doesn't matter how low your interest rate is. Because you're not going to go to... You're not going to go to South Sudan and invest in there, most likely. I'm just saying, like, when with the U.S. Federal Reserve, they did two... There's two separate things. When they decide to print more money, they call it quantitative easing. When they decide to raise or lower interest rates, they're just talking about interest rate and how that affects people's ability, business ability to get a loan. So I don't consider them the same thing. They're not the same thing, but they're directly related. They have a direct correlation, not even indirect. Like I think that I think banks only need what, like ten something like ten percent of the money that they under our under our system they need only ten percent of the money that they loan out. Yeah, well, the, one of the problems is that a lot of other countries also want to buy American currency. But regardless of American currency, we're talking about Turkish currency. So with Turkish currency, yeah, I mean, I don't completely disagree with Erdogan. I understand what he's trying to do with his good intentions, but the U.S. is not doing a very good job, so I hope he's not trying to copy our model, because our model is not really working very well. Okay, so, Andrew Brunson. So, we've talked about the border uh, violence that's happening in Syria, in southern Syria, and we've talked about how the it's starting to spill over and everything. So you've got the PKK down there. And so Andrew Brunson, allegedly, according to his party, went down to try to bring Christianity to the PKK. Well, he was recently arrested. And he is... He is... He was arrested, what, like two years ago? Yeah, two and a half years. Yeah, he was arrested. He was arrested arrested two, two and a half years ago um, for going down to the border and associating with the PKK, who they consider a terrorist group. So, they have, Erdogan has, I I won't even say Erdogan, I'm just going to say the Turkish government has some supposed secret witnesses that allege that he has involvement with the PKK because he's been visiting the PKK, which... I mean, Phil disagrees with me on this, but I would call that circumstantial evidence on the grounds that there is no actual direct evidence that says that he is working with the PKK. Just because he's visiting the PKK, it doesn't mean that he's part of the PKK. (laughs) I mean, I would call that circumstantial evidence, and I'm... Circumstantial evidence, unless you have actual real evidence, if you have one piece of circumstantial evidence... I don't think that's enough to convict anybody in a in a real court of law. No, you don't have to be convict. You don't. One piece of circumstantial evidence won't convict somebody. So, for instance, direct evidence would be, let's say there's a murder, right? Direct evidence would be me seeing you do a murder, right? Mm-hmm. But if you, if if I saw you coming out of the house after murder, that's circumstantial evidence. If I saw you, if I saw you in a fight with the person that was murdered 
hours before the murder happened, that would also be circumstantial evidence. So, though, it's not that that's in, inadmissible in court. It is admissible in court. It's just, you can't do one, you can't say, well, he was coming in the house. That guarantees that he's he murdered the person. There has to be a preponderance of evidence. Yes. So, it's circumstantial evidence is still evidence. It's just not direct evidence. So, there, you need to have more of it. I think the Andrew Brunson case is interesting. It's not just with PKK that the that the Turkish government is tying him in. Also, I mean, the Turkish government claims that they that they weren't were trying to make an example of him. They weren't even aware of him. They have no reason. He doesn't. They don't gain anything from locking him up and making him kind of like this political kind of hero that he's become in a way. So Andrew Brunson was had many times had I don't know about many times, but had gone down to the Syrian border in an attempt to convert Syrian refugees. He says he didn't care about their ethnic ethnic uh, background. That his interest was in making disciples for Jesus. He's been in Turkey for 25 years. He lived on the coastal part of Turkey and worked, um, you know, as a missionary and. In 2016, I believe, he got a notice on his door from the police and it said that he should go in and he thought it was just something about his papers. He thought at the worst he'd be given two weeks, maybe sent out of the country, get his papers straight and come back. Next thing you know, he's brought in, he's, you know, he goes through this trial and they lock, and he's detained for two years. Um, Andrew Brunson, the latest coup attempt in 2016, Andrew Brunson was out of the country for it. And some of the repressive, let's say, repressive acts of Erdogan, Andrew Brunson has text messages that he sent, let's say, uh, where he seems um, to not, you know, to not be supporting Erdogan's repressive acts, let's say, to, you know, say he cares about the Turkish people, he doesn't think that it's a good thing, this is, a, like, that Erdogan is, you know, doing these repressive things, that he hope, etc., things like that, private text messages, but he also has communication, so he has communication with the Kurds, he has communication with Gulen, from the Turkish perspective, that's, those are terrorist groups, they don't think of the Kurds as an independent group with that's fighting against the evil dominion of the Turks or whatever. And they don't think of Gulen as a good guy. They think of him as a traitor and as someone that wants to hurt Erdogan and the Turkish government. So when when Andrew Brunson has these ties, he's saying he just doesn't. He's he's being apolitical. His goal is to make disciples and to care about the health of the Turkish country. Erdogan is saying, no, you're trying to basically work with these groups. And yes, you've done, you've been a missionary for a long time. We're not putting you on trial. It's not Erdogan, it's the court. We're not, we're putting you on trial for your connection to these groups. And Andrew Brunson is one of only 160,000 people that have been arrested and detained since the last, um, the last coup attempt 
in 2016. So it's not that he's alone in that, but he's become a high-profile figure. Part of the reason he's become a high-profile figure is that last month before Trump went to meet with Putin in Helsinki, he was in Brussels for the NATO summit. And he met with Erdogan and they had a meeting about releasing Andrew Brunson. And Trump said release Andrew Brunson. This is what this is what the US State Department says happened. Trump said release Andrew Brunson and I'll help release a Turkish woman that's under Israeli in an Israeli prison that has connections to Hamas. So it's a similar kind of um, scenario, right? In Turkey, there's a, from a Turkey perspective, there's a woman in Israel, in a foreign government that has connections to people to a, to a group, Hamas, that Israel considers a terrorist group, and she's in prison for it. So, Trump's going to push on Israel to release her, and in exchange, Turkey will release Brunson. Well, Trump held up his end of the bargain, and she got released. And then Erdogan didn't release Brunson. He just took him out of jail, put him on house arrest. That made Trump very angry. And Trump said, well, you basically, you lied. You acted very, very badly. We made a deal. You didn't stand by your deal. So now I'm going to put economic sanctions, not economic sanctions, but I'm going to put tariffs on you, on your goods, because you're not going to just lie to me. We're going to make a deal. You're not just going to break your deal and get away with it scot-free. So Turkey is the uh, is one of the they supply the United States with four percent of our imported steel, and Trump has been on a crusade about tariffs on steel and aluminum. So any chance he gets to put tariffs, he's going to take it. So he put a twenty percent tariff on uh, Turk, Turkish steel, uh, Turkish imported steel, which. Uh, we import about two hundred and forty billion dollars a year, a year, in in Turkish steel, and so that's going to go up to two hundred and eighty-eight, eighty, yeah, eighty-eight dollars, two hundred eighty-eight billion dollars of Turkish steel. So twenty uh, percent is pretty hefty. I don't know what the figures are on aluminum. All I know is that Turkey isn't even a top fifteen uh, importer of uh, aluminum into the United States. So. A 50% tariff on aluminum isn't really that big of a deal. <laughs> I think it's 50%. I think it fits, but I think overall it fits within Trump's economic, like what, like what his economic plan is, which is to start man, stop importing so much of those, um, let's those metals and the industrial side of the economic engine and start doing a lot more domestically here with regard to that production. So it kind of works along that, but at the same time it, it can be a punishment on Erdogan for lying to him. And Erdogan, Erdogan's solution is he wants Gulen to be extradited to Turkey in exchange for Brunson to be uh, brought back to the U.S. Right, but Trump made a deal with him at Brussels that he, he that he didn't stand by. So there's there's that difficulty. Um, un, yeah, right. So 
another thing about these about the situation with the tariffs is that with the lira which is the Turkish money going down in value so much it actually gives them a trade advantage if we didn't put a tariff on the steel in general because they could make it it's like the currency manipulation that the Chinese do a lot they make their currency less valuable than it really is in order to make things cheaper but they've also made the commodities of steel and aluminum more expensive to export to the United States so That's now right. it adjusts it adjusts it yeah it adjusts basically it makes it it gives an adjustment so that they can't get a competitive advantage yeah so that's what's going on there. So the U.S. is either going to have to import from somewhere else or, you know, make more at home like Trump wants to do and like maybe we, maybe we should do, which I think that's, um, we discussed that in our, our foreign policy episode about steel and aluminum um, and gave our opinions about that. Um, but when it comes to Turkey, I don't think their economy is in that bad of shape, honestly, and I think that... Um, it's just one of those things where a political event triggered a decline in the stock market, and I think that everybody is just overreacting. I think that the biggest takeaway will probably be what Turkey, how Turkey responds, and whether Turkey continues to be friendly towards the West or whether it starts turning more towards Iran and uh, Russia, especially with the way things between Russia and the U.S. have gotten so frosty after this election meddling and all of that. I mean, Turkey doesn't exactly want to run to Russia, though, because Russia just, and a few years ago, they annexed Crimea on the Black Sea, which is right next to Turkey. So they're, they're already infringing on, not infringing, but moving closer to uh, Turkey's uh, borders. Well, Russia's never going to take over Turkey. Well, they're not going to take over Turkey, but, you know, you want to keep a big military power like that at arm's length. Or make them your friend. Or make them your friend, yeah. So they could turn to Russia, but that that would mean that they would have, that if, in order to turn to Russia, they'd either have to support Bashar al-Assad, which they do not want to support Bashar al-Assad. And I'm not even sure they want to support Iran. So, I mean... Why would they want to support Iran? Why would you want to support Iran? I mean, it's just as good as supporting Saudi Arabia. No, it's not. Saudi Arabia has a lot more money. Yeah, but they're just as evil, or maybe worse. Yeah, that's true. That's true. They're, I, I am not a big Saudi Arabia I mean, Arabian they go man. on and on about how Iran is a sponsor of terrorism, but then... Saudi Arabia has sponsored 40, a lot more terrorism than Iran ever could. In Yemen, in a school bus. I mean, the people that were in... Al-Qaeda Al was pretty much a Saudi-sponsored... Right terrorist group, so, yeah, I mean, I don't like Saudi Arabia and I don't like Iran, because both states sponsor terrorism, so the question is, what's Turkey going to do from here? I think we can only wait and see. Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I, I think that this is just basically a synopsis of the events till now, and we'll see what happens with, but I don't, I don't expect Erdogan really to back down. This is Michael. This is Philip. And we are signing off.